Hello, good afternoon, namaste, sasriya kal, and salamu alaikum, and welcome to the Culture Park, the show that celebrates the music, the culture, and the people of the world. Now today, I've got to stress, this is a recorded show, I'm actually sitting in one of the rooms of my partner's house on a Thursday afternoon, although it's very difficult to remember what day of the week it is during this lockdown. Every day is a day, isn't it? Um, I hope you're having a splendid day today anyway, while you're listening or watching our interview. And today's guest, as you can see, is the wonderful Danielle Grant, who's locked in down in Sheffield somewhere. Um, I met Danielle about five years ago, uh, when she was already a blogger and an inspirational person. Um, However, neither of us could ever guess the misfortune and adversity that she would face and come through. So, Danielle Grant, blogger and um, speaker, how are you doing today? Hi, Martin. I'm good, thank you. It's been, it's funny what you were saying about the days merging into one because I was having that exact conversation earlier on today. And later on this afternoon, I had to actually check on my phone and say, what day is it? So, yeah, I'm good for a Thursday. (laughs) well done remembering it's a Thursday and you know what I mean I was saying this to somebody before I am very good at adding structure to my day so you know every morning I do two hours of martial arts in our garden Um, in the evening when we're done with this interview I'll be taking the kids out for a walk but no matter what you do you know unless you sing a different song each day of the week it's still gonna sound and feel a little bit like Groundhog Day you know being stuck in the house um but we're getting through aren't we yes we are (laughs) definitely so um thank you very much for agreeing to take part in the first hopefully successful video interview that I've done for the Culture Pod and it's great that uh, now that I've got the uh, the Morrison Massive household to um, turn off their internet devices we're we're able to do this without the screen freezing so you, you know the drill Danielle I believe that it all you know when it comes to people who are inspirational and and when they have an awareness and insight into how they should be living their lives one of the first things that they realize is just how programmed they've been up until that point and that starts in childhood so tell us all about the early life of danielle grant oh my goodness the early life of danielle grant um it wasn't that exciting really um so I was brought up in a household with my mum and dad and I've got an older sister a sister who's six years older than me and so in that sense I was brought up in I wouldn't want to use the word typical but for me it was kind of a typical household so my mum and dad were married and I had my older sister we had a lot of structure at home and I was brought up as a Catholic because my mum was a practicing Catholic at the time so I went to a Catholic primary and secondary school and it's interesting that you're asking me this because I was actually having this conversation about a month back with a friend and we were talking about how your upbringing, your schooling, religion, your setup at home, how that kind of shapes your perception of the world or it kind of shapes how you expect your life to be when you're grown up and when you're older. Um, and one of the things that I actually mentioned is I remembered walking around with a teddy bear stuffed under my top 
And I remember my mum saying to me, oh, what's that under there? And I said, oh, it's my baby. And I remember us saying, how did that baby get there? And then I said, um, I got married, so God blessed me with a child. I was only about four years old. And I remember that. I remember that image and that memory as clear as day. But where did that come from? And when I look back now, that obviously came from my parents, it came from my schooling, it came from the religion. So that is a prime example of how your childhood setting can kind of formulate your expectations of life. Absolutely brilliant answer. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell people as a story is an example of mental programming was that when I was around, I don't know, maybe 10 years of age or something, I used to imagine what will I be doing in the year 2000? Because mm-hmm. for me, I'd be 30 in the year 2000. So it was a, it was a key figure in every way. And I predicted that I'd be married with two kids and a mortgage. <laughs> and you know what? At, at 2000 was when I got my driver's license. I got my home in June 1999. Yeah. And uh, God blessed me with two children. I got divorced, but I kept the children. <laughs> so uh, on, on that note, um, what's your first track and why? Oh, interesting question. OK, my first track is Toast by a young lady called Coffee. And it's Coffee with a K. So she is a recent up and coming Jamaican reggae artist and she's quite big at the moment. And the first song is Toast because one of the key lines from that song is gratitude is a must and we must be thankful. And that's important right about now. But that's very much important for me because I practice the art of gratitude. So that song really resonates with me. So, Daniel Grant, you were illustrated perfectly before the power of programming when we're children and how our expectations are determined by the messages that we get from our parents and from those around us. Um, so I want to just dig deeper and say, well, ask you straight out when you were maybe 10 or 11, what other expectations did you have that you think are worth talking about that maybe ended up coming true. Um, tell me a little bit more. Wow, that that is an interesting question because when I think back to being 10 years old, I don't think I had any expectations. And when you ask that question, I think 10 years old is so young. How can you have expectations at 10 years old? But we must do subliminally, but we're just not aware of them. So that is an interesting question. Well, what did you think you were going to be doing when you got older? So when I got older, I think I had the expectation that I would meet somebody, that I'd be married, that I'd have children, that I'd have that typical, um, what's the term, 2.4 children, (laughs) the house, all of that that goes with it. And I don't think that was a pressure at the time. Well, obviously it wasn't. I was only 10 years old. But it was just a reflection of my surroundings and of my world. So that was the norm to me. So I'm guessing that is what I expected. Okay. And had you thought about what you might be doing for a living? I mean, as a boy, you know, we all we we would dress up in soldier outfits. We were going to be coppers or we were going to be robbers or we were going to be in the army and, you know, all those sorts of things. Did you maybe think about nursing? Did you think about being a television presenter? (laughs) 
<laughs> or, even, or even a humble radio presenter. <laughs> you know what? I, I changed my mind constantly about what I wanted to do. And I think it's what I liked to play. So I liked playing a shopkeeper. So I wanted to be a shopkeeper. What else did I I wanted to be a dancer. I used to love dancing. I wanted to be a pop star. Um, I've got memories flooding back to Top of the Pops. And it used to come on every Thursday night. And my mum used to work evenings, so it'd be my dad with me and my sister. And I used to remember us running around and dancing and singing to all the songs and around the time of fame. Obviously, I'm an 80s child. Um, so, yeah, it ranged. And then I remember at one point, yeah, I wanted to be doctor's receptionist. And then I remember at one point saying I wanted to be a solicitor. And looking at looking back at it now, where on earth would a child come out with the words, I want to be a solicitor? So, well, it didn't happen. But obviously that will have come from my parents or a conversation that I've heard. And I must have seen their reaction um, react to that in a positive light. So then I must have been saying, oh, I want to be a solicitor. Obviously, I didn't know what a solicitor was. Um, but yeah, that's another example. What did your parents do? So my mom, so she's done a range of things, but my mom mainly worked in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were younger, she used to work part time and she used to mainly work in the evenings. So when we were going to school and nursery, she was there to be able to pick us up and to take us to school. So she mainly did that in the evenings and she's a tailoress as well. And she's still a tailoress to this day. Um, and then my dad, he did work in, I don't know his official title was, but in factories, like engineering type work. So in manufacturing. OK, so neither of them were solicitors. It must have just been a conversation. <laughs> yeah, they were having. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what what was shine? I mean, I've always known you as a communicator. I know that you, you were involved in marketing, but, you know, if you want to bring that in later, you can do. But I knew you could write. I'd read your blogs before. Um, and, you know, as everyone can see now, you're very friendly and bubbly and confident. So all the hallmarks for a communicator. What sort of subjects were you gravitating towards at school? At school, I loved art and textiles. And it was more the textile art where I could get into the texture and get my hands into it. Life drawing and um watercolours and that stuff bored me I like to get into the texture and feel what I was working on so textiles I excelled and I think I got an eight yeah I got an A star in GCSE and all the other homework I had to do I would put it off or I'd do it when I needed to do it but when it came to textiles I would get lost in it and it was kind of when I look back at it it was a form of meditation so I used to sit there for hours and hours and hours and the hours would pass and I wouldn't even notice. And even on my lunch breaks, I used to go into the class on my own to do all the textile type work. So that was my passion. I liked history and business studies. Um, yeah, business studies. I would say they were my three subjects that I enjoyed the most. That's great. And you're giving me some food for thought there. I've got a very interesting question that I'm going to throw back at you <laughs> as a reflection on your answer. But before I do, give us another song. Oh, another song. Okay, let's go with Bob Marley, Three Little Birds. Fantastic choice. Here it is. (laughs) 
Okay, if you've just joined us, welcome to the Culture Part, the show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. And today we're celebrating um, my friend, speaker and blogger, Danielle Grant. So, uh, Danielle, you were telling me before, which I thought was really interesting. I, I noticed these little details <laughs> that your mother had been uh, or still is a tailoress. Um, and But, you know, you found that when you were... Uh, indulging in textiles you were so immersed in it it was almost like a meditation now one of the other things that came across was um unless you're a really good actress or you buried it um was the sense that you had a very happy childhood and that seems to come across as well so the question is did you consciously ever think about being a tailoress and following in your footsteps or unconscious? Is it possible that you were mimicking her and just enjoying the feeling of being like your mum when you were indulging in textiles? It's interesting because when I was doing my textile work, my mum would often refer to herself when she was that age. And my mum was really good at art and at history. And whenever I had projects that I was working on, she'd ask me about them if she wanted to get involved. And maybe seeing her passion and her excitement for it maybe made me more passionate about it. I don't know. And obviously being brought up around in a household where my mum was a tailoress, it must have had some influence, but I've never really thought about it until now. And another memory's just flashed back to me. When I was little, my mum would often make me and my sister matching outfits. And she used to take us to the shop and we'd go through the process of picking our fabric, picking out the pattern, the whole excitement of my mum making us an outfit and seeing it come together. That was a really good memory. But my sister was six years is six years older than me. So I would end up having the same outfit twice and I was bored of it by the time I was wearing my sister's hand-me-downs. But um, yeah, it was a really nice experience. Okay, so... Um... How about further education? I know you you mentioned that you did uh, business studies, for example, and you've always come across as somebody who's quite business minded to me. Did you go to university? Yeah, I did. So um, I completed my GCSEs and then I went to college. And when I went to college, I kind of had this battle of I want to follow my passion, which is creative and art. Um, But then The other side of me was saying, that's not practical. There's not necessarily a career path in it. You're not going to make the money what you need to make from it. It's very competitive. So all those negative things came in there. And I thought, "Mm, I'm good at business studies. Maybe business studies is the safe bet rather than the art side of things. So when I went to college, I studied a GMVQ um, advanced in business and finance. And ironically, I was studying one A level in communication studies, which I've forgotten about until now. Um, the A-level, I absolutely hated it. I must have done it for about a month. And I think it was the lecturer, the content, it was just boring me. So I focused on the business studies. And I never had an aspiration or an ambition to go to university. Nobody in my family had been to university, except for two older cousins, actually. And they one was currently at university and one had just finished But I don't come from a family where people went to university when I was that age. And like I said, my parents hadn't. 
So it wasn't an aspiration for me. And I remember having a friend, Catherine, and both her parents were journalists and they'd been to university. And I remember going to a house and we went into the basement and there were three bottles of this like vintage wine gathering all this dust. And she said, oh, there's one bottle for me and one for my brother and sister. And I said, oh, what is that for? And she said, my mum and dad have bought it for the day that we graduate. So she was already being programmed into this is what you must do. So long story short, I came across a lecturer called Sam Facker. I'll never forget him. And he saw something in me and he said, have you ever thought about going to university? And I said, no, I've never really thought about that. And he said, oh, I think you should think about it. And he said, you like business, you like the creative side. Have you thought about marketing? So I was like, OK. So I went and I did all the research. And then before I knew it, I was applying to go to university. So then I went to the University of Derby and I studied marketing management. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, on that note, before I delve deeper, um, what's your next track going to be? Oh, I've got a little list going on here. Which one shall I go for? While you're doing that, I need to... If anyone's noticed I took my glasses off, it was because I was looking like something off Star Trek with the light reflecting off them. <laughs> and it's not that vain, but it's just I didn't even look human anymore. <laughs> OK, let's go with Mary J. Blige, just fine. Queen Good of choice. <laughs> Good selection. Okay. So, Danielle, um, we've discussed your life up until the point when you've gone to university and you've done a degree in marketing, I think you said, marketing, and, and you know, you've done business studies as well, I think, and also a little bit of communication that you said you hated, ironically. Um <laughs> So there's a, a couple of um, directions that I want to explore. Um, one of them, if you like, is where Danielle was in terms of her life goals for career, for income, for material possessions, for want of a better word, that, that aspect of your life. And the other aspect, I guess, would be love, romance, family, spiritual aspirations. But they're two very big questions. Mm -hmm. So... What I want you to tackle first of all is where you were going in terms of career, how happy you've been with that aspect of your life. Okay. So, um, more or less, well, after I graduated, um, it was the age-old situation of having to get a job and, and wanting to get your foot in the door. So, um, I worked for a telecommunications company in their complaints department. It was the longest six months of my life. <laughs> I was dealing with complaints by inbound calls back in the day you've shown my age they used to write handwrite letters and send complaints in we only received a few emails back then I'll um, tell you what I was surprised when you said you're an 80s girl I was like <laughs> really yeah well I was born in 81 so yeah oh okay yeah, yeah just about then yeah <laughs> now you're giving your age away but yeah. go on don't don't let me stop you <laughs> but um yeah and I worked there for six months so like I said it was the longest six months of my life but it's just it's what you have to do when you graduate um because you haven't really got any experience but luckily luckily for me I did a year's placement so that helped 
So then I went into marketing after six months after graduating. Um, I've worked in various marketing roles for about past 14 years or so now. Um, and the majority of my career was working for a large public sector organisation in my city. So I worked for them from my mid-20s up until five years ago. I think it was five years ago. So I worked there majority of my career. And there was a lot of organisational change at the time and an opportunity came up and I took voluntary redundancy. And that was perfect for me because I'd outgrown the organisation. I felt like I'd got as far in my career within that organisation as what I needed to as I could. And I just wanted a change. I'd worked there for a long time, so I really wanted a change. Um, so I saw this as an opportunity to do something that I'd always wanted to do. So I've always loved traveling and I've just been on little holidays here and there. But I never did the whole backpacking, independent traveling thing, which I wish that I would have done um, in my late teens, early 20s. So this was the prime opportunity for me to do it. So in 2015, I went traveling um, independently but then as part of a group. So I booked it um, with an independent travel company and I went to South America. So I traveled to Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil, and then up to New York. And it was like the most amazing experience ever. Like words can't, can, can't even put into perspective that experience. And a lot of people were saying, oh, it's just a holiday. It wasn't, it was a life experience for me. You learn so much about yourself when you travel independently, when you meet strangers, um, embracing different cultures. It, it was just amazing and it helped to shape me and it helped to, um, it gave me clarity on life in terms of the direction that I wanted to take because the life that I was living before that was very structured and very tick box. And a few years before I went traveling, my life was kind of changed and shaken all over the place. Um, so at that point, yeah, I was really happy. I, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I, I would also imagine that you mentioned how it exposed you to different cultures and it reframed your perspective on life. So I'm guessing at that point, it also helped you to deprogram to some extent, or even if you didn't deprogram, just to be more aware that some of the habits, beliefs and attitudes that you had just felt were you before were not as consciously chosen as you had previously thought? You know, you know that experience, I would describe it more as bringing me back to me. And I've never felt as close to the core of who I am than when I lived that experience if that makes any sense. It does. It really does. Yeah. Okay. So um, what are you going to pick for your next track? Ooh, what are we going to pick? Let's go with Beyonce, Run the World. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. My <laughs> partner's girl loved this show because I make jokes about meeting Beyonce, being called by Beyonce, <laughs> getting messaged by Beyonce all the time. In fact, I think I've done it on this show. <laughs> So, brilliant. Um,
So, Danielle, um, you've described um, how going around the world, and it really did sound like a fantastic trip that you did there, that, you know, it, it made you feel closer to the real you, to the core, if you like. Um, I, I guess this is the point in the interview when I wanted to delve deeper into who you are and how happy you were before you reached your point, as it were, of transformation. Um, and and I, I guess as part of that answer, to let me know, is is that when you started blogging, when you were doing your travels? It's funny you should ask that question, because before I went travelling, I bought this mini DSLR camera, and I was taking all these photographs, because I've always been interested in photography, mm. but I've got no patience to get the all the technical side of it I haven't got the patience I just want the perfect shot so my idea was that I was going to start blogging about my travels I had a little diary and I was writing things down um so I guess in a sense that was the start of me doing a bit of writing but it never came to fruition I never set up the blog I never did the YouTube videos um it was just a little bit of an idea at that point and I'd wrote a piece, um, a natural hair story, before I went travelling. Um, and that was my first bit of writing. And I think I had so much fear around it. And of, oh, my gosh, you know, what are people going to think? Is my writing going to be any good? So, again, it was an idea, but I didn't have the confidence then to kind of follow it through. We all get the imposter syndrome, though, don't we? Yeah. You know, when we had our first conversation for quite a while, really, on Zoom the other day, I think it was, you know, we were we were both chatting about it. And um, I know we're on the same page now in the sense that if you touch one person's heart, soul, if you like, then you've done your job. Just one person, because you, you never know how much you can transform somebody just by pushing the right button and even you know however good or I know you're a good writer but whatever your standard of writing is there is always gonna be an audience for it and uh, that audience will be a lot more than one believe it or not <laughs> um, so what else can you tell me um about the direction that your life was taking in terms of relationships for example and your dreams of becoming married and having your 2.4 children <laughs> okay so when i completed traveling to south america i came back home to the uk and i said to myself i was going to take six months off when am I going to get this opportunity again? I'm going to take six months off and enjoy it before going for another job. And so many people are like, aren't you going to go and get another job? Oh, you're going traveling. You, you shouldn't be going and getting another job. And I was like, I've worked full time all this time. My working life, I've still got a long time of my working life. Six months is nothing. But society doesn't question when people decide to have children. That's a life choice and you have nine months maternity, that's not questioned. But if you're in a situation where you can say, I can afford to do this, and I'm going to live my dream for a few months of traveling, suddenly everybody starts questioning it. And I think that's because 
that's not what the majority of people are doing or it can make them question their kind of lifestyle um, but I've never been your average person I've always been the different one <laughs> so anybody who knew me wasn't surprised wasn't surprised by my choice um I can't even remember what the question was I've gone off on a it's all right no you've answered it because you're talking about well, I, I really wanted to get an idea of the direction you were taking in life, how happy you were. And it sounded as though, really, you, you were just enjoying the spontaneity of being you. Um, but I'm going to hit you with another question now, because it's it's really relevant. Everything, people's everyone's expectations of what they should be doing with their lives and what they should be valuing as being success or whatever or happiness it has all been turned on its head by this current um, crisis. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I'm not, it's not a specific question. I'm just looking for you to reflect on that. Because I know you've got your own thoughts on it. So the current situation. Yeah. Yeah. So with the current situation, see my thoughts on it vary da- daily. And... I've actually wrote a blog post about this and I've actually wrote um, some kind of hints and tips as to how I feel people can potentially cope with the current situation we're living in. And all of that content that I'm sharing with people has come from a previous life experience, which I won't go into too much detail about Mm. yet. I'll talk about it in more detail a bit further on. But experiencing a massive shift in my life and adversity in a way that I could never have imagined and my life just did a full 360 without me with no sign of it I had to accept I had to deal with things not being the way that I expected them to be so now we're living in this current situation of COVID-19 It's not saying that I don't worry about it. It's not saying that I don't think about it. It's not saying that it doesn't upset me because it does. But I feel that I'm better placed to deal with it. And I feel that I've got the strategies in place to manage my well-being, my mental health and keeping myself upbeat because of previous life experiences and like they say when you go through something really tough in life it builds you it builds your character it builds your resilience and it makes you a stronger person great great answer do you want to give me another song okay oh another song let's go with oh cut me off my list let's go with Taurus Riley and Conscience and its simple blessings. So, Daniel Grant, uh, everybody knows that my show is primarily about transformation. And you've already said with your last answer that you went through something that changed your perspective on everything. So this is the question that leads to um the most impactful thing that happened to you in your life and it's your opportunity if you like to talk a little bit more about anything you think you might have missed about your previous life just to add context over to you 
Okay. Oh, gosh, my previous life. I think my previous life was very structured. And I later on found out when I went through this kind of process of reflection that I used to often say, and this was like in my mid-20s, I would always say, I should be doing this. And I should be doing X. I should be doing Y. I should be doing Z. But I didn't quite know the reason why I should be doing it. It was just programmed in there. And when I look back now, it's what society is telling you you should be doing. So everybody's doing these things. So I should be doing it because that's what you do. That's what the majority are doing. That's life. Um, and a lot of my 20s was lived doing what I should do rather than what I really wanted to do. And it's not to say... I was deeply unhappy. I was unhappy at points, but it's not to say I was deeply unhappy. I would more look at it that I wasn't necessarily living, being my true self and really knowing who I was. I knew deep down, but I wasn't living it. I wasn't articulating it. And I feel that my 30s have been a huge really at the end of my 30s um, but I feel that that decade has been a huge journey of discovery and it's been a path of realizations and really getting to understand the core of who Danielle is who I am and what I want out of life so yeah there is there's still some similarities between my past life and my current life but I would say there's a very distinct difference and I would say the main difference is in my mindset and how I look and how I approach certain things in life now, for sure. Okay, so um, tell us about the, the moment of transition. Take us to the day, to the hour. Share your story. Okay, so my story is, um, so it was May 2017. Wow, it's nearly three years. It's coming up to three years next month. I think it was the 16th of May 2017 so at that point in my life I was the happiest like I said probably the happiest I've been in a long time Um, so I'd been traveling I was in a long distance relationship at the time I was incredibly happy I'd lost five stone in weight um, in my 20s I struggled to lose weight and at that point I'd achieved my goal and um, I was making plans for the next phase of my life and for my future with this person who I was planning on spending the rest of my life with so generally I was incredibly happy um, I was traveling back and forth from Jamaica so I'm half Jamaican my dad's um, of Jamaican heritage and that was my second home so I was doing a lot of freelance and consultancy work which allowed me to do projects and travel back and forth between the two so when I look back, I was actually living the dream. <laughs> I was actually living the dream when I look back at it now. I remember how happy you were at that time. Yeah, it was just an amazing experience. And so many people said, you're glowing, you look so happy. And I was, I was just genuinely so happy. And it was like the best time in my life at the time. So um, ironically, at that time, I started practicing yoga. So I was practicing yoga quite often and I was feeling the benefits of that mind, body and soul. And on the Saturday morning, I remember I went to my yoga class. I went to see my friend because at, the, at that time I was looking at looking at setting up 
as a self-employed weight loss consultant at the time. So I was looking at renting some space in a shop to run that business. So my life was moving forward in so many directions. Um, and then on the evening, the Saturday evening, I came home and I was living with my parents, as I still am now, but I was living with my parents at the time. And um, I remember just watching a movie, having something to eat and a drink. And then I remember looking at my mum and I said, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. I feel a little bit tired. So I went to bed and that was my last memory. I just went to bed. I went to sleep. Danielle, let's hold that moment. Give me another track. Okay. Oh, okay. My next track is going to be Chronics, Tell Me Now. Here it is. So, Danielle, at this point, all I know is that we've been conducting this interview in segments. For those of you who are listening at home on radio, I know the suspense will be there now. Why was that her last memory? Um, And if it ends up being separate videos for each segment and you've just clicked onto the next YouTube bit, which will be part seven, Danielle is now going to spill the beans. So... What happened when you woke up, presumably? Yeah, so I basically woke up and I was in um, critical care. And I just remember my head feeling very like heavy and fuzzy and hearing machines beeping around me. Um, and it was actually six days later, my first memory. My first memory my mum was at the side of my bed. My friends Natalie and Morel were at the end of my bed. And I vaguely remember saying to them, what's happened to me? And they just looked quite serious. And my other friend was feeding me because I didn't even have the strength to pick up a spoon and feed myself. So she was actually feeding me. And I thought, there's something not quite right here but I wasn't fully there so it's weird it's like I'm reliving it now obviously as I'm telling you and it's my flashbacks um but then I said to my friend Morel I said what's happened to me and she said you've had an aneurysm so I remember looking at and being right and I said what is an aneurysm and that's all I remember I didn't even know what an aneurysm was So basically what happened, um, once I asked the questions, what happened was I went to bed. I woke up out of my sleep. I have no memory of it. I went to the bathroom. And I think when I went to the bathroom, the aneurysm must have ruptured. And I must have been, because they describe it as the worst headache of your life. And it's like one of the most feared headaches. conditions for someone to enter any an emergency room with it's like one of the most feared um so at that point the aneurysms have ruptured and I must have felt that I didn't have the strength to get back to my bedroom so apparently I climbed into the bath and I was laid in the bath 
and my dad was sleeping and he could hear this loud like muffling heavy breathing sound and it woke him out of his sleep but he's a light sleeper anyway so he said that he walked towards the bathroom and the door was open but the light wasn't on so he nearly went back to bed but then he had this feeling so he walked further and he saw me laid in the bath semi-conscious and I'd been sick at that point because I'd started having seizures um, so they called the ambulance and the ambulance people came and apparently they thought that I'd had um, a cardiac arrest and my mum was like she's not had a cardiac arrest I know my daughter she hasn't had a cardiac arrest um, so then they took me to the hospital apparently they did the scans and they said we found a bleed on the brain so at that point they had to, my body started to go into shock and I started to have a series of seizures. So at that point, they sedated me. Um, so they sedated me, they transferred me to the next hospital, the other hospital in my city where there's a neurological department. And that's where they did the emergency um, procedure where they coiled the aneurysm in the brain. So that stopped the bleeding because the aneurysm if you don't know what it is it's like it's like a bulge in the blood vessel and um it, it it was like a balloon so it was expanding and then it just popped like a balloon which caused the blood to flow and it caused me to have um a subarachnoid hemorrhage which is a brain hemorrhage so they coiled the bleed to stop the bleed from happening and then I went through this process of them waking me up. So my actual first, well, it's not my memory because I don't remember it, but when they woke me up, apparently my mum, my dad, my eldest niece and my sister were in the room. And they said that they woke me up and I was talking in a childlike voice um, because of the trauma to the brain and the surgery that they'd done. And they asked me to recognise each person in the room and I didn't recognise any of my immediate family. So at that point, they were incredibly worried about the damage that had happened to my brain. But I don't remember any of that. My first memory was like four, four five days after that. So, yeah, that's wow. why. All I'm going to say at this point before I ask you for your next track is I, I'm really glad that I didn't go and find out your story. Because obviously I knew that you'd had an aneurysm, but I've never heard your story like this. And uh, so I'm 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 glad that I've got to hear it now for the first time on this on this video. So um, what's your um, what's your next track? My next track. What am I gonna go with? I'm gonna go with Bob Marley, Trench Town Rock, and I've got to tell you the reason why because I love this lyric from it, and it's one thing about music. When it hits you, you feel no pain. And when I was going through my recovery, music played a huge part of that in, part, in terms of my healing and lifting my spirit and my mood. So that's why I chose that track. Well, we'll be talking about your recovery in a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so for those who are listening to this on, on radio, on Radio Sangam, um, welcome back to The Culture Pot, the show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. And today I'm celebrating Danielle Grant. And in fact, the both of us, after what she's just explained to me, the both of us are celebrating the fact that she's alive, 
that she is well, that she is fully compass mentis because she had a close call. So it sounds to me, Danielle, um, as though because they stopped that bleed, that burst from happening, they prevented you from having a stroke, which would have been even more devastating. Yeah, um, a subarachnoid hemorrhage, I think it is classified as a type of stroke. Um, but it's not a stroke in the sense of what we know a stroke to be. Um, but that's why they sedated me, because if they didn't sedate me when they did, I probably would have had a stroke. And um, when an aneurysm ruptures, the time is so critical in terms of a matter of life or death. Because the majority of people who have an aneurysm rupture die. Like the amount of people who survive it is less than the amount of people who die from it. And the longer it's left, if you if you do um, survive like I have, um, the neurological deficit and the all the other um, issues that can come with that um, are more likely the longer it takes to get seen to. So I'm incredibly fortunate. And at that time in my life, I was quite frustrated with my life. And even though I was happy, but I was frustrated in some senses because Again, going back to what we were talking about earlier of having the tick marks, I had the mortgage before, I had the long-term relationship before. Um, I wasn't where I expected to be in my 30s at that point in my life. I was living at my parents and I was getting quite frustrated with life. And I was thinking, why is it things working out for me? And why am I um, doing contract work and temporary jobs? And why it just, it just felt like things weren't clicking into place to give me the stability that I wanted. And when I look back now, and I know it sounds cliche, but when I look back now, I believe those things happened the way they did for a reason. Because if I would have been living on my own, I wouldn't be here today. I was basically told that I'm still alive today because my dad found me. So I wouldn't be here today. And when I look back, I think... You know, I'm not, and I talked about being brought up in a Catholic household and I'm not a religious person as such in the sense of following a particular faith, but I do have um, a believing in the universe. I have a believing in the most high. Um, I do have that type of faith. I'm a very spiritual person. So I believe I was where I needed to be at that moment in time in my life because it wasn't my time to go. Because so many people have what happened to me and they're not here. Um, so, yeah. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I am too. I can't now, remember what the question was now. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to do Only I have to do that. And even then, if I get it wrong, it's okay because it's my show. There yeah. you go, folks. <laughs> the amount of times when I ran a live show in the radio station, and it's like this, I'm, I'm, I'm engrossed by the other person's story. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I've missed the clock. <laughs> I had 10 seconds, and now there's a sweeper coming on saying, Radio Sangam, and it blasts in my ears. It's happened to me so many times, so don't you worry. But you know, when you were talking there, you hit upon a fantastic point. This people, it's natural for us all to crave, to seek security. 
But actually, security is a myth, right? You know, I'm a professional writer. That's how I make my money. Um, But I could speak to 20 people who all talk to me about wanting to write a book. And if if it doesn't happen, the bills aren't paid. Or I could be writing for somebody. And like right now, I'm writing for somebody. What happens if they get coronavirus? I hope they don't. But what happens or what happens if a relative gets coronavirus or what happens if you say, Martin, everything's changed. I can't do it. So being self-employed, I've, I kind of die every night when I go to bed and every, every day that I wake up, I say, OK, thank you. Today's yeah. my new day. And I think the COVID lockdown is making people realise that they have to measure their security, not on whether or not they've got a merc outside because there's people around here who've got mercs sitting on the drive but what am i doing today that does feel right could be playing with the kids it could be playing the piano or drawing and i think that that's an awakening that you're more aware of than most most definitely and you've touched on a good point there so in my 20s I had obviously that relationship wasn't right in hindsight but I was in that relationship for 16 years I had the mortgage I had the job that I'd been in a long time I was engaged I had a big rock on my hand you know I ticked all those boxes but was I really happy no and I would say when I look at where I am now in life I don't have those material possessions or that social status what everybody judges you on but I would say I'm a much happier person now because I understand the core of who I am and I measure my happiness on life experiences memories relationships friendships how certain things make me feel rather than things that I have and I'm not going to sit there and say I don't like nice things I mean look at this adidas jacket that I'm wearing (laughs) you know I like fashion I do like nice things But what I am saying is I don't derive my happiness from those things, if that makes sense. So, yes, I wear this is bright colours. It makes me feel happy. It reminds me of tropical climes of the Caribbean because that's my personality. I like vibrant bright colours. But, yeah, it's short term happiness. I don't I don't model my life around things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense. What's your next track? Oh, what is my next track? I'm running out of tracks, Martin. Um, let's go with, you, you know why I'm going to go with this song? So I'm going to go with Pharrell Williams' Freedom. And you know why I'm going with this song? Because it's so upbeat. And I wrote a blog post about the day that I left hospital. And I used this song as a reflection because he shouts, freedom! <laughs> and I felt like I was so free. So that's why I'm choosing this song. But when you watch the video, I think it's quite timely with what's happening now with COVID-19. And as we mentioned before, people are struggling with, I don't like the the term self-isolation because I think it's very negative. I use the term self-retreat because I'm trying to use this time to build myself, to reflect, to use this time as wisely as I can because I've got more time to do certain things that I've been putting off forever um and there's a difference between isolation and quarantine so we're in quarantine but we've still got our freedom not freedom as we knew it six months ago but we can still go outdoors we've got technology 
we're talking on here today. You can ring your friends and family up. You can leave your house for essential things, depending mm-hmm. on what you do for a living or to go to the shop or to buy medicine or whatever. But we're not really isolated. And I think so many people are struggling with that. And I do struggle sometimes. But people are forgetting we've got our freedom. There's so many people in this world who don't actually have freedom. So that's the reason why I've chosen it. A long-winded answer, but that's the reason why. <laughs> love it. I love your answers. Let's okay. play it. <laughs> so, Danielle Grant, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Um, and, I mean, to some extent, you've already given myself and our audience um, quite a few takeaways, just, just in the way that you've described the story and even the comments that you've made about today's uh, situation. Um, one of the major changes that I know that you made, because it's how I introduced you, is that these days you're a speaker, you know, and I'm, I'm guessing you've done that because it's allowing you not to do what you should do, but what you're here to do. And to spread a message of, if you like, love, inspiration and empowerment Um, So tell me about that journey. Okay, so that journey actually started as part of my recovery. So when I was recovering and I got to a point where I accepted what had happened to me and I wanted to find out more, I was doing a bit of a search online and there wasn't much out there. And most of the content that I found out there was in the US and Canada because aneurysm awareness is a lot higher over there than what it is in the UK. Um, There were a few Facebook groups, which are giant private groups for other aneurysm survivors, but they tended to be very negative and they could put you into this spiral of health anxiety. So I was very, um, very cautious as to when I would dip in and out of those groups. Um, And as part of my recovery, one of the things that I didn't see coming or what I didn't realise is you have a huge dip and you have a very down time because there's so much focus on the physical that's happened to you've had an aneurysm it's ruptured when you come out when you're in hospital they're focusing on the physical side when you come out I had occupational therapy I had physiotherapy I had to learn to walk again so all the support was around the physical side But the support in terms of your mental health and that side of things wasn't really there. So there was a point where I had a really low point and I was really struggling. And the way my blog was born out of my desire and my need to have somebody to talk to who understood what I was going through. And I thought if I had somebody like me when I was going through my recovery, it would have helped me so much. So that's where the creativity started to flow. And in my YouTube video, I talk about being right-brained and left-brained. And I've always seen myself as being a right-brained person. I'm much more creative. I'm not analytical, mathematical or any shape or form. I've always been much more creative. But I honestly feel that since this has happened, it's brought out my creative side. And it's brought out my passion. And I honestly believe that I'm still here for a reason. And part of my reason is to share my story and to help to support other people. And I feel really blessed to be in this situation to be able to do that. 
So I launched my blog and I started writing and I had that writer's anxiety of, oh my God, I'm going to put this live. Did the YouTube video, had a whole meltdown on that day, but I can't put this out there. I can't share my story. Um, so I launched the blog and as part of that, I started doing Instagram videos, short videos where I would speak. And that was my first experience of that. And then I'd upload it and get scared, but then I'd upload the video. And then um, I was invited to go onto a local radio station. And when I was on that radio station, I mentioned the name of my blog, mybloomingbrain.com. And there was um, the head of occupational therapy at the Sheffield Teaching Hospitals heard my radio interview. And she sent me a Facebook message. And she said, I would like you to come and speak. I was so nervous. <laughs> so I went to the Northern General Hospital and I delivered a talk to 60 occupational therapists. And I delivered the talk and it was so scary. It was so surreal. And whilst I was delivering that talk, I'm even getting the feeling in my chest now. <laughs> when I was delivering that talk, when I could see the reception. Hold on, Danielle. I'm sure it wasn't as scary as almost dying with an aneurysm. you got to put these <laughs> things into perspective. Anyway, oh, yeah. I have to put that in. It's all right. People are more afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying. That's a true statistic. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But yes, you're right. It wasn't as scary. Um, but I delivered the talk. And when I could see people's reactions in the room, because they saw me stood up there all bright and in my bright clothes and they weren't expecting what I was about to tell them. And when I shared my story, you just saw the shock on their faces and their faces dropped. Like they couldn't believe it. And when I was telling my story, there was one particular lady that I felt this connection with. And I just felt this connection. I just, I could just feel the energy in the room. And then she started crying as I was sharing my story. After that talk, she sent me a message and she said, my husband had an aneurysm. And she said, so much of what you told me resonated with his journey and what he went through and his story. And she was like, thank you so much for sharing this. And she said, I'm going to send your blog, the link to your blog to my husband. And that goes back to what you were saying. If you can touch one person, you've made a difference. And the feedback that I received was phenomenal. The head of occupational therapy sent me a letter. And the feedback mm -hmm. I received was for occupational therapy professionals, they rarely hear the story or the full transition of a patient. They see a patient at a certain point in your recovery and then that's it. So seeing me stand up there gave them a sense of pride in the sense of they supported me, they helped me, they've helped many people like me and it helped them to understand my condition more and one of the things that I've learned in my recovery is you're the expert of your recovery you're the expert of your illness these doctors and nurses have been medically trained but they're not the expert because they're not living and breathing it you are and when I delivered that talk it made that very clear and very apparent and yeah it was amazing amazing that is beautiful really beautiful and I've got some thoughts that I'm going to do in the next segment but I need a song from you, please. OK. Is this my last song? No, you'll have one more after this. I'm very generous, me, you know. <laughs> OK, let's go with something a bit upbeat to break it up. So let's go with Cameo Candy. Fantastic. <laughs> 
It's been a truly magical interview today um, on the Culture Pot, the show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Danielle, as it was to the day. And I'm sure we'll have many more chats. And, you know, before in the last segment, when you mentioned um, the fact that, you know, we've, we've both spoke about how touching one person makes a difference that reminded me of this situation that we're all in now in lockdown in terms of what's important and what's not important you know a few weeks ago I never knew I was going to be locked down in my partner's house I love my partner she's the most wonderful woman I've ever met apart from my mother they're both far apart but you know we don't live together So I wasn't expecting that. And it's been wonderful. But it meant that, you know, I haven't got any of my studio equipment. I'm sitting here in the only space I could find. The lighting is not very good. But does it matter? What matters today for me is you have told an absolutely fantastic story, a true story that I think is very touching, makes me feel grateful to be here and to be alive and i'm going to say something else that you might not have mentioned um for anyone watching this or listening danielle sent me a video on whatsapp you know so many people talk about gratitude and some people will post about what they're grateful about and i'm not saying that those people who do that are insincere but there's nothing better than getting a video on whatsapp of somebody saying i'm very grateful for this for this for this it was so genuine that i didn't sit there and go oh is this one of those chain messages (laughs) i thought i'm gonna send danielle grant a message back and tell her what i'm grateful for including getting that message anyway i've took up two minutes i've broken my own rule about you so for the last segment, I want you to talk more now, if you like, just a few takeaway points. I'm not going to hit you with a figure. It could be three, it could be five. Things that if anybody takes away today in terms of their mindset and their attitude to life, they should be considering starting now. Why if I give you ten? <laughs> okay, so number one leads on nicely after your point gratitude is a must and that's why i said i wanted to play coffee as the first song because that is the main line in that song gratitude is a must we need to count our blessings every single day and it doesn't have to be big things it can be the smallest of things so when i was going through recovery and um, i'd lost my health i'd lost my job i'd lost my financial independence I'd lost my independence, I couldn't walk, I couldn't leave the house, I couldn't do anything on my own, I'd lost my relationship, I'd lost everything in one go and there were very down times but I had to find something to be grateful for to get me through every single day. So I've got a rock upstairs and again I know it sounds cheesy but I've got um, crystals and I've got an amethyst um, crystal And I used to hold it every day and I used to look in the mirror and I'd be like, I am grateful for. Some days it'd be one thing, some days it'd be two, 
Some days it'd be, I'm grateful that I could get dressed today. That's not something I was grateful for before because that was a given. I could get up and get dressed and get out of the house. But when I was in recovery, it could take me a very long time to get dressed. So the art of gratitude is incredibly important in counting your blessings in terms of transforming your mindset, in terms of giving you a positive mindset and a positive outlook on life. And so many people have said it, but I honestly believe that my recovery a big part of it and a big part of the success in my recovery is because I practiced the art of gratitude. And before I used to dabble in it a little bit, but my recovery process made me sit down. And like you said, it's about being genuine, not just saying, oh, I'm grateful because I had a nice meal tonight. You've got to really mean what you're grateful for. So gratitude is a must. That's number one. <laughs> um Number two, being present. I would say being present is key. So there's been, like I talked about, self-retreating, and I've said I have had time to reflect. I do reflect and I do look on the past, look at the past. I'm not going to say I don't. I do, and I do look to the future. We all do. It's human nature, and that's when the anxiety and the panic starts to set in. Oh my God, what's the what's my life going to end up like? Um, I want this, this and this and it's not happening. And that's when you go into panic mode. But, and, and, and it's very um, it's very um, timely with COVID-19 of everybody thinking, oh, my goodness, when's this lockdown going to end? What's it going to look like? Worrying about the future, the only time. And again, a lot of people don't appreciate it or believe it. But the only time we have now is the present moment. We don't know what's going to happen in an hour's time, in a day's time, in three weeks time. We do not know. The only thing that is guaranteed in life at the moment is this present moment and myself communicating with you. So I have practiced the art of being present and being mindful. And when I'm around people, I try and give them my all and my attention as much as possible. Because when my aneurysm ruptured, there was no warning signs. And I, if I would have spent all my time worrying about the future and I would have lost my life that day, what a waste would that have been of stressing about something that may or may not happen in the future. And that, that's timely for now with COVID-19. What you can control is the here and now. So focus on here and now and what will come will come. So that's number two. Number three, you are in control of your happiness. That's a big A. In my 20s, I relied on my partner of 16 years to give me my happiness. And I'm not saying when you're in a relationship, you can't give each other happiness. Of course you can. And that's part and parcel of a relationship. But in order to be happy, in order to be able to give in a relationship, in order just for your happiness, you need to find that within and you need to find what makes you happy. Don't ever give anybody else that power or that control over your happiness. And I've learned that the hard way. I've learned that through failed relationships and whatever else. But that's a definite big A. How many is that three? <laughs> that's three, but I'm not sure how much for the radio. I'm not sure how much. Can you give us another two, but like 30 seconds each? If you had another two, if you don't, it's fine. Okay. Life is short. Live it and cherish it and enjoy it. That's it. I only had four, so there were four, three long ones and one short one. That's fantastic, because I know that when we'd spoken off camera, so to speak, I'd mentioned I might ask you for five, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so, Danielle, 
before I ask you for your last record, your 10th record for the radio, um, how can people get hold of you? So people can get hold of me via my blog. So it's mybloomingbrain.com. Is that blooming with a G? With a G. My blooming, blooming, as in like flowers blooming. (laughs) Just checking. Because a certain DJ on a radio station I listen to has got a show where there's no G. Okay. Um, Those who know will know. Right. So mybloomingbrain.com. Yeah, so you can you can follow my story and my journey on there. And I've recently started blogging and writing again. So you can have a look on there. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram as well. So you can drop me a message there and get in contact. Danielle Grant, thank you very much for giving me your time today. Um, I can't wait to see this, even though I know I sound like Lily Savage. And at the moment, I look like some kind of weird psychiatrist in this dark room. You've been splendid seriously oh. see it's so wonderful to catch up with you um what's your last track right we have to end on a positive and i absolutely love this track so it is the sounds of blackness optimistic we've got to be optimistic so that's what i'm ending on well, we're always optimistic on the culture part so for those of you who are listening on radio on Sunday, have a wonderful evening. And for everyone else who's watching this video, I hope you've enjoyed it. Do tune in again. Take care. Goodbye.